0: This podcast is proudly supported by the post-production facility, Red Lab. Red Lab. See where your ideas can go. Welcome to Women on Screen Out Loud, giving a platform to women in the film industry who challenge, motivate, and inspire on all sides of the camera. We are your hosts, Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. Marina Cordoni is an industry-proclaimed dynamo and self-proclaimed hybrid and builder, overseeing the vital stages of movie making. Marina's work encompasses producer's representative, sales agent, executive producer, producer, mentor, and more, catering her vast skills to whatever each film and its maker requires. Reading from her essay, Climbing the Celluloid Steps to Success, Marina highlights the hurdles she has faced what she learned when she reached the top, and the steps she took in an endeavor to rediscover the beat within her business heart and soul.
1: I was the grand old age of 19 when I started my first job in the TV and film distribution business. I began on an electric typewriter and corresponded internationally via telex and fax. I believe we learn a great many things at a slower pace. I often miss those simpler times and try to integrate basic structure into my work life today. In other words, I try to do the next right thing one thing at a time. In the early days, I had an obsessive hunger for knowledge. I devoured anything I could read on the industry. I wrote screenplays in my spare time and shot a short film so I could integrate the creative understanding in my day-to-day business transactions. I wanted to know it all, I wanted to have it all. I worked hard, networked hard, festivaled hard, and by the end of the first 10 years, I had climbed each rung of the ladder to the vice president role at a film distribution company. I had arrived, as they say. But the 10 years following that were tough. I was in the middle child syndrome of my career. That is a difficult spot for anyone, let alone a woman in business who was still in the midst of the boys' club. I confronted bullies and egos the size of a continent. Challenges that would kill horses. Problems that snowballed into more problems. And my ego had to inflate to defend itself. It seemed an endless cycle. So I asked myself a backwards question. If this is personal, how can it be business? How did I survive? Truth is, I am stubborn, I am persistent, I am driven. Those forces worked, but they also caused pain. They lacked something. My drive continued, but I needed out-of-the-trap race. My work heart needed attention. So the last 10 years became a journey of discovering myself in connection with my business. I realized that I wanted more than working from a corporate angle. I wanted to work strictly with the source. I wanted to bring back the creativity of the girl who would spend summer days reading, writing, and sitting in movie theaters watching foreign language films. I had built a career in the UK and returned to my homeland of Canada. And in the 30 years I have been around this industry, there have been accomplishments and failures. Guess which ones I learned more from? To succeed actually means to fail. It is like yin and yang. We will never achieve perfection, but can endure lessons for progress. In 2014, at the tender age of 45, I launched my own business, my real business. I call the last four years, four films in a TV movie, which might also give you a clue as to where I used to work in the 90s. With this company, with MCE, I did what I promised myself and others— I got closer to the source. In the film and TV biz, that means the writers, directors, and performers. My previous executive producer duties encompassed many roles, from creative to financing to sales and marketing. I transformed into a producer role, literally moving backwards in order to move forward. As a producer, I am on the front lines with the writers and directors. I help and challenge them to be the best that they can. I listen, I guide, but I do not control. And I know how to do this now because I kept my focus on my source. I became aware of defective workways. I accepted what it takes. I learned how to lose with integrity and how to win with humility. I remain honest and transparent to the best of my ability and the situation. And so Marina, the 19-year-old business girl, grew up to be a businesswoman with a contented business heart, and her own company. And there is so much more yet to learn in order to lead. It is a privilege to be able to do so. And I still hunger for knowledge. Some things never change.
0: Coming up. Marina Cordoni speaks with Lara Jean Corostecki about her unique experiences in the industry and offers insightful advice to emerging producers.
2: Welcome, Marina Cordoni, to Red Lab Studios. We're so excited to have you here today. I'm going to dive right into some questions. At the beginning of your essay, you talk about telex and facts. For those listeners who might not know, including this interviewer, what is telex? (laughs)
1: I love when people ask me that question because it was the question I asked when I walked into the office and saw this machine for the first time. The basic way to describe a telex machine is that it was the first form of text messaging. And it was on a teleprinter. And it looks like a huge typewriter. And what would happen is that companies would correspond with each other with a particular number. And I often felt like I was in the military because you'd hear it. It'd be like, do, 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 And it was an automatic, instant message.
2: So like a telegram?
1: I would say more as if you were looking at your typewriter and suddenly it started typing on its own. So like a
2: text message. Yes. Exactly like yes, you said. Yes, yes. What do you find is the biggest loss to the working structure of the industry since technology made everything more immediate? You spoke about feeling like when you go at a slower pace, you learn more. So is there something that you feel specifically has been lost?
1: Absolutely. I think there's a a loss of focus in general as many different devices come at us today. And I always use this example. The other day, I was trying to start my computer and there was a delay. And I didn't understand the delay because it's technology and it's inside this machine so is it the you know is it the internet is it the computer is it the hardware is it the software and suddenly i thought about this past vision of myself i never had those problems with a typewriter <laughs> i would take a piece of paper and i would put it in the typewriter and i would roll it over and i would start typing the only problem that would happen is if the ink was running out and then i'd just go to the store and buy a new ribbon so That is my example of, you know, 10 minutes lost trying to get my computer started to I've already been typing for 10 minutes. The loss of focus, what I mean is that often a lot of people tend to just look at everything that's coming at them and they start to feel an immense amount of panic. You need to build a wall around that so that it can be a a more focused environment for you. So, for example, one of my tricks is that I don't have automatic download on the email. I download when I'm ready for it. So when I start my morning, I know what my priority is. And if the priority is checking email, then I'll do that. But if it's finishing a script or making my cup of coffee first or making a phone call, I won't have checked the email. It won't be there right in front of me at the same time. So I think there's a huge loss of focus. And if I may add, there's also a loss of connectivity.
2: Mm. Can you say more about that? Yes.
1: Yes we in in my time when i started working in the in the 90s we had a lot more interpersonal working relationships and there was a lot more dialogue and the meetings weren't about meetings about having meetings we were getting things done because there was a process and it was manual. So if we had to get a film out to somebody, I actually needed to take the can of film and go to the, you know, what, whatever was the courier at the time and, and or the post office. And so there was this huge process, but there was also a sense of accomplishment because you were feeling the process. I'm all about the feelings now in work. What am I feeling how can I do this with the best of my ability? The, the loss of that interpersonal relationship in the office, I think, is very sad. Hmm. And, uh, you know, so I try to take things one thing at a time, one moment at a time, in order to accomplish what I need to accomplish.
2: Is there something on the flip side that you think is a great gain with technology? Or is it all kind of stripping things away?
1: <laughs> it depends on the day. <laughs> you know, there are days I wake up and go, I'm just getting rid of everything. <laughs> and that's just my inner sense of panic because I'm not able to keep up with the world and its demands. And one, you know, one thing I I think is amazing about technology and and actually there are many things I think that are amazing about technology. Um, But one thing in particular is that we are now able to watch a product, um, let's call it that, which is visual entertainment in our industry, whenever we want, however we want. And it's made it very affordable for people. And also if I want to connect with my friends um, around the world If I need an answer from somebody quite quickly, but where there is an upside, there's a downside for this stuff, you know. So, whereas once upon a time I would write an entire letter with everything I needed to say to you, Mm. and send it to you via mail or fax, now it's broken up into twelve different emails, and that's a lot of time spent on one issue. So that comes back to the focus, and certainly, I mean, technology in a grander scale is helping our world in the medical field, in the pharmaceutical industry, and engineering. And so I I respect it at the same time. I want it to serve me rather than the other way around.
2: Mm. Uh, Something you just said there, what I've noticed is that technology has in a way caused us to be more reactive rather than thoughtful.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, there's often times where I think we need to restrain our thoughts. And again, going back to the old way of doing business, you couldn't help but restrain your thoughts when you were on a typewriter.
2: Mm.
1: Because if you typed and it was wrong, you'd have to erase it, and that was a process in itself. So now we have a a world where things are just flying at us. And you're absolutely right. And I think that's so sad.
2: Hmm. I'm going to switch the topic a little bit and talk about uh, something I've observed in myself and other women in the industry is this constant need, or at least the sense of a need to consistently put our best self forward without compromise in order to succeed. You wrote this interesting sentence in the essay about your own ego having to inflate itself, which really, really spoke to me. Do you think we're quieting this softer, more vulnerable side of ourselves? I mean, a side I would argue is equally as strong in this struggle to be perceived as capable.
1: Yes, yes. It's very, very difficult to navigate business and work relationships in this era. It just simply is. Going back to it— It feeds all the way back again into time and focus. I use this example from my life when I was in my early 20s and working at a company. And uh, I was asked into the boardroom and there was a meeting going on with the CEO and other heads of department. And my boss was not in the office that day and I was asked to come in and answer a question. And I opened the door and it was full of men. And there may have been one woman, and we're talking about 12 people. I couldn't help but think about you know, the movie 12 Angry Men. <laughs> and the question to me was, how much money did we bring in this week from the distribution revenue? And my boss was out, so I didn't know the total. And so I quickly thought of my own efforts, and I said, well, I've closed a, a deal this week. And The CEO looked around the table and laughed and looked at me and said, yeah, well, Poland isn't exactly a major revenue stream. And just to explain what that meant is that we had different territories we sold film rights to. And I dealt with what was considered Eastern Europe or called Eastern Europe at the time. And I had about a split second to understand what was happening and to either be quiet or have a reply And I would say the stakes were enormous right at that point. And all I could see was everyone laughing at the table. Mm. And I don't know if it was the grace of God or the universe, but what I said, and I looked at him, you know, and I said, if you can afford to lose $50,000, then I don't know what kind of company you're running. And everyone went, quiet. (laughs) (laughs) And my heart was beating right out of my chest. And I had taken that leap of faith, because that is a leap of faith. So there were only a few choices there. I could have stayed silent. I could have answered in a very demure, submissive way. Or I could have tackled it. Because I didn't have the answer he was looking for, which is millions of dollars of revenue have come in this, this week. And of course, my boss was out of, uh, he would have had that answer. Mm. So I was really proud of myself in that moment. But I, I hesitate to suggest that we should go that far because you need to be ready for that. Mm. Walking out of that office, that boardroom, I knew two things were going to happen. Either they were going to forget that or I was going to get fired. Hmm. And thankfully, they forgot about it. (laughs) So I kept my job and moved on. But those are the types of situations where uh, vulnerability plays a big, big part. And we feel... Often really oppressed in those situations, especially when other people's egos. And so what I meant by what I say in terms of my ego had to inflate is I did need to protect myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be a woman that continued to be oppressed in a room full of men. And if that meant taking the risk of getting fired, then did I really want to work in an environment in that way. But in the 90s, uh, you know, in, in my time when I first started, I had to suck it up a lot
2: of the time in order to keep the job. Mm-hmm. This leads really nicely into the idea of your work heart. So after all that time of your work through the 90s and getting into the aughts, is that what we call it? The aughts? The 2000s? The,
1: yeah, I think so.
2: I find that we often think of caring for our personal heart but forget that in this industry we are needing to give attention to our work heart as well to survive you connected this work heart to needing to save your heart from the trap race can you say more about what you mean by that or is it kind of what you just spoke to
1: the trap race to me is something i just obviously made up and it comes it's a play on words of the rat race um I don't really believe in a rat race. I, I love animals, and anything that breathes with fur on it is, is to me very, uh, very important. So I don't like putting animals to it. So I call it the trap race, and in its own way, it is that expression that we understand. But what I mean further than that is that I feel often trapped when I am not using my work heart which is the combination of the two that I see as when we're in work, we need to be diligent and responsible and productive. But at the same time, my heart needs to move along with that. And in order for me to be diligent and productive and responsible, I also need to t- take care of my values. And my values often are about justice you know, for all and equality for all and we have a hard time in our environment, especially in the in the film and television industry. The visual arts is a very big mixture, combination of people with different skill sets, all in one big pool. I came up with this idea that my work also needs heart, and we do work in a creative industry, which requires the vulnerable side, which we often think of as the heart. And then often requires the business side, if not always, I should say, not often, always. And it's this combination of balance. So bringing the two together.
2: Mm -hmm. I know for me as an actress, I always talk about being a person first. Because being a person first and taking care of myself as a person feeds into my work as an actor. And they do have to coexist. Even for us, the business side of things comes in too. But really, I really admire that finding a way to make the two work together. Yes, and often I
1: find um, the problems are that other people's perceptions, other people's projections, other people's desires for you to be something else. Now, that happens naturally when you're performing because you're playing out a role. But in the day-to-day business life, that also happens. It feels like there's a director or a couple of directors that are trying to push and prod people the way that they want in order for them to perform. Mm -hmm. Instead of being a responsible employer looking for the right fit and the right match. So that leads to problems. Um, And being a person first is an incredibly courageous thing to be. Mm -hmm. because we have to face the rejection of what if they don't like us. Mm -hmm. And that was a 30-year discovery. What if they don't like me? Mm. Well, heck, what if I don't like
2: them? (laughs) We never think about that, do we? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, it has to be a a 50-50 split. And although our work environment is mostly, I would say, about financial compensation, I do believe that we need the correct skill set in order to manage people or to direct people mm-hmm. in that in that way. So,
2: Marina, I could talk to you for hours, but I'm going to ask you a last question. Your career has been so varied and so full of a wealth of experience. You are naturally a mentor. You're one of my mentors. What does it mean to you to be a mentor and what advice would you pass on?
1: I... Take the role of mentorship incredibly seriously, and at the same time, I have a lot of fun with it. So it it feels like the people that want to learn and are willing gravitate towards me. And uh, you know, I'm privileged that you would consider me a mentor. I think you're phenomenal, and uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to someone like yourself who wants insights into areas that you know perhaps you haven't been in yet. So I feel it deeply. I'm I'm deeply grateful for the opportunity to mentor. I have a lot of requests to mentor, and I sometimes have to say no, which breaks my heart. But we also, as mentors, have to be able to balance out how much we do within that fold. And I work with some phenomenal organizations in Canada: women in the director's chair, uh, women in film and television, and uh, they provide the mentees in a way uh, when I join them. You know, the, the answer of, you know, do, do I think that I have gotten to a point in my career where I can, you know, say, this is it? As I said, you know, earlier, have I arrived? Well, that was, that was 20 years ago. And then there was another arrival, you know 10 years ago and this is a different arrival so i'm always arriving because really it's it's the journey mm. and i think that with everything that i've learned what i what i want to do is to be continuing to carry that forward i i don't feel i succeed unless i can give and it's it's a spiritual process and a lot of people might have an issue with that but i don't because it it goes back to what you were saying about being a person first. Mm. And that's who I am as a person. I'm a spiritual being, and I've learned how to give and take. I've learned how to give more when I when I can't, um, because it means that ultimately it will come back. So that feeling of mentorship is a feeling of complete satisfaction that I know that I've helped somebody else on the journey. I have so much more to learn, so much more. So the idea that it's 30 years in is is kind of scary. <laughs> and, you know, of course, I
2: still look very young, don't I? <laughs> she uh, looks miraculously no older than 21. Uh,
1: thank you. Um, 25 would have been. Nice. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, I have so much more to learn. And here's what I say when I wake up every morning. I try to shake it out, you know, the night before, the day before, whatever happened yesterday is gone now. And so today, I wake up and I say, teach me.
2: Mm.
1: Once upon a time, when I was younger, I had this sense of know-it-all. And it doesn't get you anywhere. Mm. So those are the things I would say to newcomer producers um, or women that are coming up in the uh, what I call multi-hat business, <laughs> mm-hmm. where we have to do it all. You know, we write, we direct, we produce. And we want to do it all, and we should do it all. And I'm always going to be there cheering on and supporting any woman, if I know you or not, in especially in this country, because it's time. It's definitely time. What I would also say to emerging producers is don't jump into it too quickly. I often talk to filmmakers who are, you know, have a proposal for a $5 million film, yet they've not made a smaller film yet. And I look at my career like I built these steps and I literally went from receptionist to uh, sales assistant to sales executive to senior sales executive to vice president to president to executive producer. And that's when I said, and I went kind mm-hmm. of ass backwards and uh, went into a producing role. I could have stayed at the executive producer level, which is hoity-toity and overseeing and you know it has a uh, how do I say this it's I, I don't want to disrespect myself and others, but it's it's sort of the big boss mm-hmm. the true definition of executive producer is the big big boss And there is a difference um, in in, uh, in the TV world where that person is also the showrunner but in feature film, The executive producer is somebody who's literally either organizing or bringing the money to the table and uh, overseeing the creative and overseeing the casting and and that. So it was too far away for me. I needed to come back. But circling back to the steps, so if you want to be a producer, be a producer's assistant. Then make a short film. Then make a feature film with a micro-budget. Which would be described as 125,000, with Telefilm Canada, our funding agency. Then make a movie at half a million. Then make a 1.2. Then make a 2.5. There needs to be progress in that area. If you're setting yourself up to jump this, like imagine just you're trying to jump over a stream or a river, mm-hmm. you know, and it's really far away. You want to be able to jump and land. And I think that's the important factor.
2: This takes us so nicely back to the beginning where you talked about the speed and the pace. And I thank you for taking some of your time today to speak to us, to teach, and to share. Thank you so much for sharing with us.
1: Thank you so much, LJ and Jen. I, I'm so happy to be here. I feel privileged. I feel honored. And it's part of the journey that I think we can all take together. Thank you so much.
0: Marina began her career working as an international sales agent, traveling the world's festivals and markets for various film and television companies before launching her own venture in 2014, Marina Cordoni Entertainment. She has produced and executive produced on numerous feature films, most recently the 2018 film Never Saw It Coming, directed by Gail Harvey and starring Emily Hampshire and Katie Boland. Marina also provides extensive consulting in distribution and marketing, as well as executive training and seminars for organizations such as WIFT and WIDC. We are extending a very big thank you to Marina for carving some time out of her busy schedule and joining us today at the Red Lab Digital Studios. Be sure to check out future episodes of Women on Screen Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts. And check out upcoming events and initiatives from Women on Screen at womenonscreen.ca.
2: Until next time, I'm Lar Jean Korostecki. I'm Jennifer Pogue, and we are Women, Women on Screen. Screen. Women on Screen Out Loud was recorded at the post-production facility Red Lab. This project was created and produced by Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue, with sound engineering and editing by John Lawless and original music by Erica Percunier. This podcast would not be possible without the support of Women on Screen founders Lauren McKinley, Farah Marani, and Kira Murphy. This has been a Women on Screen production.